BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Straight ahead on The Insiders, while 20 Democratic presidential candidates were fighting for camera time on that national stage, another candidate who was not allowed to join them instead spent some time with Iowans. Now, one of those Iowans will join us about an issue she hopes Steve Bullock and the others will spend some more time talking about, and it's reparations to descendants of slaves. We'll get into that. Plus, you don't have to sneak around and take a hit if you live in one of Iowa's neighboring states anymore. Here what Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley thinks about Illinois' decision to let people use marijuana, not just if they're sick, but just because they want to. And in the Insider's Quick Six, some hot takes on where things stand now that the first debate stage has had a few days to cool off. Welcome to the Insider's. Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, migrant deaths, climate change crisis, student loan forgiveness. They get a lot more of the headlines in today's political campaigns. But what about what should be done for people whose ancestors were kidnapped, imprisoned, beaten, raped, and owned, literally owned? We're talking about reparations. Should the federal government pay in some way descendants of slaves several generations later to help make up for the financial and economic disadvantages they have endured because of the original slavery. It's a deep topic, but we're going to talk about it. Abana Imhotep is here. You may recognize her. She joined us for our little town hall with Steve Bullock earlier in the week. Uh, you may also recognize her. She ran for lieutenant governor as a libertarian, but welcome. Thanks for coming back. Thank you, Dave. Glad to be here. Uh, curious what you thought. You asked Governor Bullock about the concept of reparation, reparations, and he wasn't on board with this commission that some of the other candidates have talked about. We should have to look into this. Uh, I'm curious what you walked away with. I walked away with some uncertainty. I think um, it's important for all of the candidates and everyone in general to be mindful of what the HR 40 means and what it is. All right, uh, I wanna play how Governor Bullock responded in part to your question during that town hall. Here's what he said. And that those disparities didn't just happen in 2016. It happened at this country's founding. Um, the question then becomes, how do you make those, how do you remedy those past wrongs? Is it just a payment? Or is it also saying, let's look at where the specific disparities are and to make sure that, because a payment would only last one individual or one generation. We need to make sure that we can do everything so that all of the subsequent generations aren't dealing with these challenges. Uh, I mean, so he's talking about, you know, a payment's only going to go so far. We need to look at everything else that involved, is involved here. Does, that, does he have a point there? Well, I'll say this. First thing I want to do is I want to acknowledge that we currently are standing on stolen land. There are two great crimes that occurred upon the inception of what we know now as America. And that was the near extermination of Native American population and the theft of their land. So I want to honor those people now. And then secondly, the invasion, dispossession, kidnapping, and enclosure of Native Africans 
brought here to break that land. So I understand what he's saying, but clearly he needs to develop a message and be sure of it. It sounds to me like some of the candidates haven't really thought about what reparations is or, or what it's for. And, and as you know, the struggle for some people, and Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, it seems like he's one of them here, they can look back and say, yep, slavery was wrong. We're generations past that. Of course. I didn't do it. Yeah. I didn't do this yeah. wrong stuff. My great, 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 great grandfather, whatever it was, did. So what are we supposed to do about it now? Listen, there was slavery, then there was Reconstruction, then there was Jim Crow, there was segregation. And here we are today after civil rights still struggling with some of the same issues that look different, but at the core, they all stem from what was American history. So although, you know, all of us alive today were not directly responsible for the things that occurred, a certain group of population are benefiting from those and a certain group of population are still suffering. So how do we catch up? You start looking at those figures, you look at average black family, average white family. Sure, so there's- Look at the wealth difference. The white family may be six, seven, eight times as much wealth-wise all these years later. So there's a humongous gap here. So how, what evens this out? Well, there's a couple things that could even it out. What I wanna say is in order to figure out what those are in specific, people should support HR 40. Now HR 40 is a commission that's going to study what reparations would look like, who would receive. So that's why I say get behind HR 40 so we'll find out. But without supporting that, that effort, then why are we even talking? People need to just support it. Reparations to me is patriotic. And I, I can say this. So we've got devastation across America as far as our farming. And a lot of our farmers are um, benefiting from an act right now that is providing relief upwards of $8 billion across the country. I know Montana uh, received 14 million. Iowa may receive something about 18 million for farmers relief, essentially reparations. Why do, why do we do that? Because it's the right thing to do. As, as late as 2017, a Civil War veterans family was receiving uh, pension payments. Okay, why do we do that? Because it's the right thing to do. It's patriotic. So why not provide reparations to the heirs and families of prisoners of war who were kidnapped as native Africans? Why? Because it's the right thing to do. It's patriotic. We have about a half minute left here. You are not, for the most part, if I'm hearing you right, you're talking a lot about let's have the conversation, let's have the education, see where it goes here. You're not specifically saying, cut me a check, cut whatever a check, whatever, right? Why not? I'm not saying that because reparations can mean different things. There are several different areas across the board where black people have historically been disenfranchised. So we're talking about education, housing, economy, all of these things, jobs. We jobs, everything. We were the capital. Owning slaves was common sense. Having a slave was the equivalent of owning a car or owning a home. So we went from being the capital to becoming capitalists without the proper support and resources. So I say it's time to pay up, whatever yeah. that means. All right, and it is in, a con in the conversation differently than any cycles that I can remember at least. Appreciate the time, thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for being here for our town hall too, by the way. All right, when we come back, a growing organization in our state that's looking to expand diversity in the political discussion 
And it also has a big decision to make coming up. One of the group's leaders will join us about that decision next. Iowa's top Republican leaders share the stage with him. Crowds turn out to hear him. President Trump also knows what recent history shows. Clinton, Bush 43, Obama, Americans reelect their presidents many times, especially recently. Democrats still have options, a lot of options to take on the president next year, 24 options. That means Iowans have to make some choices. That includes our next guest, Prakash Kaparapu. He is the coalition chair for the Iowa Asian and Latino Coalition. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Dave. I think first time you're here, so thanks for doing this. Thank you. All right, so your organization has already hosted a little bit more than half of these folks, right? That's correct, 13. And if you're keeping score, and down the road here, we're talking about in August, you're going to narrow this down to one. You That's all good. as a group, your pack at least, is going to pick a favorite. How's this going to work? Uh, it's uh, quite uh, uh, simple in a way, as simple as it can get. Uh, it's the voice of the, uh, our coalition members. On August 12th, evening at 5 o'clock in the United Steelworkers Union Hall um, in Des Moines, uh, we'll be uh, about 500 of our members, uh, whoever can make it to the uh, hall, will attend and they cast their vote and uh, they give board four uh, choices, top four. And then the board uh, will go in a closed session and then we'll pick the final uh, candidate and he'll be our uh, endorsed candidate by Asian and Latino Coalition. And if we look through just a little background or in, on your organization here, if we go by the numbers when we talk about Asians and Latinos in our state, you're talking about one in every 10 people or so, 300,000 people or so, right? That is correct. Now, your coalition, though, just to be clear, when you go to your meetings, I think it's probably obvious, but for the folks who haven't spent any time there, uh, it, it's a mix of everyone who's in this group. It's not just Latinos and Asians. It's every every color imaginable is part of your group here. Um, your overall purpose is what? Our purpose is uh, the vision and mission of Asian Latino Coalition is uh, to uh, engage and empower and create interest in all Asian and Latino communities to step up and participate in the mainstream politics. And the way, the approach we have taken is if you're in the mainstream conversation with everyone, that's what encourages uh, even the uh, people that are thinking to run, oh yeah, I can participate in that idea and I can contribute. When you go to a party meeting or a central committee meeting or any meeting, there are a lot of rules and there are a lot of protocols that you have to follow. And there's a platform that is missing in politics in Iowa where any uh, regular citizen can walk up and say, I can fix that issue. This is where I can voice, how can I run for office? So they come to coalition and then we designed a platform such a way that it encourages them to think of running and actually running for office. Uh, you mentioned you've had 13 of the 24 before your group so far. Are you seeing themes from your members? That one of the things you do is when you all set up, you take questions from some of the members in the audience. Are you noticing themes, you know, as we kind of step back and look what's happening on the Democratic side, there seems to be kind of a battle, especially with some of these big picture things. Is it Medicare for all, you know, that the kind of the far left part of the party wants? Is it more of a centrist solution, perhaps, where we do some kind of buy into health care? And that's just one of the examples here. Do you wipe away student debt? Is there more? Is there a, 
a smaller way to do this, what, what kind of issues do you think you're hearing in, in the conversations back and forth? Definitely. Uh, one of them, uh, I can, if I have to consolidate those issues into simple, uh, number one, healthcare has become the affordability of healthcare has become a significant issue, be it prescription drugs or insurance premiums or availability of services or having access to those services has become a significant issue across the board on all, in all communities and all age groups. Even a fresh uh, start for a college graduate who is starting his first job or a retiree who is entering their retirement. That's the common issue to everyone. And the other one is definitely as a parent and uh, also the young college students, the college tuition has been a significant issue. And of course, the immigration, the conversations that are going about immigration, it has become so uh, unstable, just the conversation. We are at a stage no one knows what an immigration policy of United States is anymore. So these are the questions that we are seeing. We typically have about eight to 10 questions in our uh, candidate town halls or conversations we have. And these, all the eight to 10 questions surround around healthcare, education, and immigration. How, from your standpoint, uh, you're, you're becoming one of the more prominent groups in our state, dealing with these campaigns, trying to get their candidates to stand before you, what is that process like? Uh, it is definitely different than uh, we have participated in Because you've local... only been around a couple of years now in its present form, right? That's right. 2016 is when we actually started uh, actively participating in convert candidate conversations, be it school board or city council, state representatives and state senators and governor. Uh, so over the last two years, we participated. This is the first presidential cycle, if you will, that uh, we are actively participating and having conversations. And uh, I can honestly tell it is a totally different experience than uh, working with local candidates. And it's mainly around the scheduling, establishing contact with the uh, right campaigns. Initially, we were reaching out, uh, and then now uh, the coalition has grown from 50 members to now 500 plus. Uh, we are uh, getting a lot of calls from the campaigns themselves, and uh, we're, it's just a matter of trying to figure out a date, which is not a July 4th or a uh, Cinco de Mayo <laughs> or a Christmas things. Day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, all right, big decision coming up in, in August. Appreciate the time. Thanks for the insight. Thank you very much, Dave. All Appreciate right, so, so while his group has a lot of undecided Iowans, you know, from time to time here, we like to get a little peek inside the thought process of some Iowans as they try to pick a favorite candidate here. So coming up, we have a University of Iowa graduate student who wants to be a social worker. We also have a Johnson man who supported Bernie Sanders last time. See how they're both sharing their thoughts about what they're thinking as they look ahead to 2020. We'll hear from them next. You'll remember Donald Trump was dominant in Iowa in 2016. He won 93 of the state's 99 counties. So if you look ahead to 2020, then looking at those numbers, that could make him a logical favorite to win the state again, right? Well, Iowa Democrats are trying to think through this process, which one of these 24 potential candidates they like the most or, and or perhaps, which one has the best chance to defeat the president next year? Well, here are what two Iowans shared with us about their thought process looking into this. Um, I've been following um, Beto. Um, I need to meet Julian Castro. Um, I am for a minority candidate at this point, um, but it could be anybody. I think I, I, as 
someone of a minority status, I need to see that representation, I think, in office. I really like Bernie Sanders. I like, um, uh, I like Elizabeth Warren. I like Tulsi Gabbard. Um, more on the progressive side is where I fall. Well, my passion behind social work has to do with immigrants and refugees, so um, a plan and a pathway for that um, to see candidates care about them as just normal people or seeing this as, you know, we just got to help people and treat them as people and not because of their status. Um, I would also like to see um, a pathway with um, student loan debt um, and a plan to have affordable health care. Um, as a student, I relate to a lot of those issues. I, I like to research everyone uh, right from the start, so I know, you know, uh, right up front who who are the ones that I that I consider uh, strong for me. Who are the ones that uh, that are sort of in the middle, and which are the ones that I want to sort of learn a little bit more about. In the end, I'm going to vote for whoever the nominee is. What surprised me with Trump winning the last election was the fact that he polled. I think, certain groups out. And um, I think Democrats need to start early with that. Trump seems to have a, uh, you know, a 30% uh, base that are gonna, are gonna stick with him no matter what. So I, I think that the Democrats need to decide, are they gonna try and go for the middle ground uh, and maybe pull some of uh, the Republicans over to the Democrat side? or uh, are they going to try and come in with something very bold, very progressive, and maybe bring in some more of the independents uh, to, to come and vote, as well as some of the, the Republicans who just don't want to vote for, uh, for Trump and are looking for a way to, uh, to, to, look, looking to vote for somebody uh, that is still going to uh, have a populist message, but not in the way that, that Trump has had, uh, and with his... Uh, his, uh, how do you put it, with his lies. All right, so a little insight into those two Iowans' minds. Senator Chuck Grassley tweeted that the president's support could go up if he would just bite his lip from time to time when somebody does something he doesn't like instead of coming after them so hard. When we come back, why the senator thinks the president just made a big move that could help a lot of Iowans, plus hear why Grassley is not so thrilled with the state of Illinois right now. Senator Chuck Grassley is right there in the front row. You got to get that close-up view of President Trump's executive order. It's supposed to help people better understand their hospital bill before they get it. State Senator and eye doctor Marionette Miller-Meeks of Otomo. She was also there. You just can't see her in the shot. Uh, the president's action here calls for hospitals to be more upfront about what tests and procedures cost. That could help alleviate some of that sticker shock that comes with the bills that we get later on and then also hopefully cut down some of those costs. Senator Grassley thinks it could help Iowans and then help the president too. When you get total transparency, it brings accountability, it gives more knowledge and information to the consumer so it can be a smarter consumer and uh, can uh, uh, try to find the best buy for the quality of health care that they want, this executive order will go a long ways in opening up and reducing the price of health care costs, and I applaud 
the president for doing it. All right. Then there is that man. He is the governor of Illinois, and he signed on to this latest movement to let recreational marijuana be legal in his state. That makes 11 states now, counting Illinois. Now, don't look for Senator Grassley to push the feds to let this get legal nationwide. No way. It concerns me very, very much, and I'm not for passing a federal law that would legalize uh, recreational marijuana. I'm willing to do things in the area of uh, uh, medicinal uh, marijuana, but I want to do that through the FDA so it has the same uh, protections for quality and effectiveness uh, and safety that other drugs have to have so people know that they're getting a quality product that will solve uh, and answer the medical needs that they have. So medical marijuana, not recreational, when it comes to the senator's views here. When we come back, the Insider's Quick Six, what we learned from that first presidential debate. We've now had a few days to try to process that first two-night-long Democratic presidential debate. So that's our Insider's Quick Six. One, a lot of surprise how unprepared Joe Biden seemed to be when Kamala Harris ripped him for his views on busing back from the 1970s. Harris earned widespread praise, which helped take some of the focus off some of the other things she said, like on day one, she'd get rid of the president's tax cuts. Not sure how she would do that, but the headline's definitely about the way she came after Joe Biden. Number two here, let's see what happens with Julian Castro right now. He came hard after his fellow Texan, Beto O'Rourke, on whether we should decriminalize action against those who illegally cross the border. Castro got some much needed visibility out of this. We'll see if he can now grow it and what happens to O'Rourke because of that exchange. Three, Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker likely did themselves some good by not mixing it up with some of the others on the stage. They're both instead focused on sharing ideas and their vision instead. Number four, John Delaney and Eric Swalwell found out how difficult timing is when you're in these live debates and you're trying to jump in there and make a point, but the moderators keep trying to move along to somebody else. Five, Andrew Yang, Marion Williamson especially, they really know that well because it's so tough to make an impression out there in front of those millions of people when the moderators are not calling your name very often. Finally, our prediction. Some in the media will make way too much of what happened in this first debate. We still have eight months to go till the Iowa caucuses. Most people did not watch these debates, and of course they did not watch all of the debates. So we have to be pretty careful not to make overgeneralizations here and not make too much of a big deal about who said what. But the debates do have some reach before millions who did watch, and many more people will see the video clips on TV and on social media of those most talked about exchanges. Those are the things that can make an impact with a lot of people are just starting to tune into this. That's why some of those viral moments can make a lasting impression. Thanks for being with us on The Insiders. Let's stay connected throughout the week. We'll see you next week.